freedom 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 over fame freedom over cycle stays the same welcome first of all welcome this is unsolicited perspectives i am your host bruce anthony thank you for listening and watching wherever you get your podcast and video podcast subscribe share like comment and rate us you can find us on instagram youtube and twitch at unsolicited underscore perspectives on twitter and tiktok at unsolicited underscore per watch us live every thursday night 7 30 p.m eastern on youtube and twitch our audience continues to grow with each and every episode and i humbly thank you on today's episode, I'll be interviewing Dr. John DeGarmo, or Dr. John. We'll be talking about the child welfare system, his travels, and his personal life. But first things first. You know, I think that uh, I've done I've done other shows talking about children, and with the mass shootings that's going on and the, the children in cages at the border, uh, child trafficking. I really want to put and shine a light on how we and our decisions as adults are damaging generations that are coming up behind us, more specifically the kids. I think all of us can remember back being a kid and just wanting to be safe. And I think as we get older, we lose sight of that. I saw a meme the other day uh, that said, you are now as an adult, the person that you wish would have protected you as a kid because you are now that safe space for, for yourself that would have protected you as a kid. I think that's important. I think parents want to protect their children. I think that we as a, a society, as a human race, but more specifically here in the United States, need to do a better job at really protecting our children. And it is really, and by doing that and by saying that we want to protect our children, we need to really examine the institutions of which our children are living and trying to survive it. So uh, I'm looking forward to interviewing Dr. John as he is an expert in child welfare and the child welfare system. So he's going to give us some real insight about what's going on here in the U.S. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to learning. So without further ado, let's get this show on the road. All right, I'm here with Dr. John DeGarmo. He, you can find him at Dr. John DeGarmo at fostercare.com. He's an author, a leading expert in foster care and parenting, and also worked in professional wrestling. Dr. John, how are you doing today? I'm spectacular. How about yourself? I can't complain. I'm, I'm happy that you're joining me here. And, and I think that uh, this conversation is going to be really important for a lot of people to learn about uh, you. And a lot of things that, that you're a part of. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, no problem at all. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you became a leading expert in foster care and parenting? Well, sure. It was never something I intended to do or, or um, wanted to do, if you will. I, my wife's from Australia. We, we met in a performing group, traveled the world singing and dancing, got married and and uh, several years into our marriage, our first child died of a condition called anencephaly, or some pronounce mm -hmm. it anencephaly. It's a condition where the brain or skull doesn't form. Mm -hmm. And my wife was in labor for 92 hours wow. before the child died. And, um, you know, that really led me to a dark place. It really led me to, um, uh, I was filled with a lot of anger. Mm -hmm. yeah, not, not grief, but a lot of anger. Mm -hmm. Um and turned my back on a lot of things. And then years later, we moved back to the United States, uh, living in a rural county in middle Georgia, a very southern rural area, and started teaching in a rural high school setting. We had three healthy children by that point. And I noticed a lot of kids coming through my classroom who had issues of attendance, issues of behavior, issues of academics. And I kept saying to myself, what is going on? Why, why are there so many students in my classroom who have all these issues in a small rural town? And then I began to meet a lot of their birth parents, and I recognized, aha, 
really starts in the home. So that led to a discussion of how can we help these kids? How can we help some of my students? How can we help children in crisis, children in need, children are being abused? Um, and that led to the discussion of foster parenting, which led to foster parenting, and that led to my doctorate. I led to several books. Um, and now I travel the, the nation and the globe working with child welfare agencies, foster parent agencies, uh, legislators across the country and trying to reform the system, trying to uh, prevent human trafficking. Um, and I've really driven each day to help children in crisis. Hmm. I believe that children are the future. Teach them well and you let them lead the way. That's true. That's so true. But sadly, in the United States, we have 5 million children who are victims of, of uh, domestic violence in their own home. Mm-hmm. Oh, so sadly, not many people share the same viewpoint that you and I do. So I'm going to take a quick detour. Mm-hmm. What is categorized specifically as domestic violence? So I, I grew up and I'm, I'm in my early 40s and my parents were a product of Whippings. So I did. I got whippings until I was about 11, 12 years old. And then punishments became taking things away. And I've since talked to my father and he's he's commented on the fact that maybe that wasn't the best way to raise you. And I told him, I was like, it wasn't the best at every scenario, but sometimes that discipline made me listen to you. I guess out of fear, but but love and fear. Or it, it it also made sure that I stayed on the on the straight and narrow path. So I guess my question is, what constitutes domestic violence, and what are the different levels of punishment that are acceptable and not acceptable? Well, you know, you 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 bring up something interesting. I grew up in a home. I wouldn't say it was whipping, but I suddenly got spanked, back of the hand, or spatula at worst. Um, today, in today's society, that's not accepted for mm-hmm. whatever reason it might be. But I've had children come to my home who have had been beaten so severely that you they had no teeth. Mm-hmm. I've had children who have had hands placed on stoves. Um, children who have been raped by their, by their family members over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Um, I've had children who have had see, have seen their their mothers beaten severely and maybe even to death, um, and that's where we're seeing so many children in today's society coming from. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing the breakdown of families, breakdown of values and morals that you know fa- family values that you and I grew up in. Um, those are deteriorating in our society. Um, it, it's it's a rough time for children. You know, you can also look at what's happened post-COVID. We're seeing an increase in teenage suicides, up 70%. Uh, teenage suicide attempts, up 70% since 2020. Um, so our children really are under attack in so many different ways. Hmm. Um, I know that's just hearing you say that tugs at my heartstrings of what these kids having to go through. Obviously my parents never did anything quite to that extreme. Like when I say whoopings, like, you know, I you might know, have a belt every now and then a couple of lashes, but it was never any part where there was any bruises or blood. When you're seeing kids that are being treated like that, how do you control your anger? Mm, that's a great question. Um, and I'll tell you, it's difficult. I think you said whippings. I think about the the eighteen um, month old we had at our house who had uh, lashes all over his back. He's whipped by by his mother with an electrical cord because mm. the father of that child was different than the other two siblings that he had, and she was upset with that father. So he had lashes all over his back from an electrical cord. Um, how do I keep How do I keep it from coming angry? Well, I struggle with that. You know, mm-hmm. as a human being. Um, I get upset that these crimes have been committed against these children. As a person of faith, I have to remind myself, well, you know, my sins are no bigger than theirs. God loves them just as much as he loves me. Um, these children, these are these parents are children of God. They're most likely coming from 
the same type of environment. You know, it's generational for so many kids. But I, I struggle. I, I used to really struggle mightily when I first became a foster parent. And now I recognize um, so many of the parents of these children are coming from an environment where they were abused as well. I think I think back to uh, two kids that are third generation foster care. Their parents and grandparents were also in the system. And their birth mother was prostituted out by age nine by her father. There's no way in the world she is capable of being a strong, positive, healthy parent or mother when she never had that in her life. And she's still suffering from her own trauma Mm -hmm. in her life. Uh, So sometimes I need to remember that. Um, But, uh, you know, there have been times where I have been angry. Yeah. How, how could you do this to a child? I think back to the, uh, I think back to the four-year-old, two, four-year-old girl, two-year-old girl, one-year-old boy who had all been raped by their grandfather over and over again. Jeez. And I think, how can you do this? How can people do this to children? Um, so I, I struggle with that time to time. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, to kind of get back into your professional life, you've written several books on fostering and adoption. Can you tell me what are the most rewarding experiences from uh, fostering or being an adoptive parent? Because they're two different things. Fostering a child and adopting a child are two different things. That's right. That's right. I've been a, I've been a foster parent myself to over 60 plus children over the years. Uh, and we've adopted three. Mm. Um, and adoption happens, just to clarify, adoption happens. So the, the parent, the biological parent, while the child is placed in the foster care system, biological parent has a certain amount of time a time frame, if you will, in order to maybe go to some parenting classes, um, get a stable job, show some stability, um, get help, basically. Mm-hmm. And if they're unable to do so in that time frame, and many times it's extended, but if they're unable to do so, then it's known as uh, termination of parental rights, TPR. And then if that happens, then the adoption usually goes towards a birth parent, or sorry, a biological relative, maybe a grandparent or an aunt uncle. And if one is not found, then the adoption usually goes towards the foster parents like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so so some of the happiest moments. Well, I mentioned that four-year-old girl who was raped so severely. When she came to her house, she could not say a single word. She just grunted and went, uh, 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 to show us that she was hungry. Um, watching her learn how to smile, watching her mm-hmm. learn how to laugh for the very first time. So rewarding. Watching children learn how to trust mm-hmm. that an adult is not going to hurt them rewarding um watching children learn how to play so rewarding um as an adoptive parent uh, there's no difference there's no label my i don't have a label in my house there's no biological there's no adoptive there's no foster they're all my children um if you look at my family you're gonna see many different colors we don't have black or white in our house we're all the same color just different shades of god's skin because i don't like labels on kids because then that puts them into the categories so um when it comes to adopting my children, I don't really see um, a di- I, I don't see a difference between my adoptive and biological children. They're, they're my kids, but I will say that the process of adopting them was incredibly emotional, incredibly mm-hmm. emotional. Joining my family, um, I believe that every child in foster care deserve needs three things: stability. So they need stability, they need structure, but what they need more than anything else is unconditional love. They need us to love them with all of our hearts so that when they leave, for whatever reason, our hearts break. Just mm. um, And a lot of parents experience, foster parents experience feelings of grief and loss, broken hearts, because it's like losing your own child. So when we adopted these children, you know, they're forever with us. Mm-hmm. Um, just a, a blessing. But let me tell you, it's, there's hard moments, too, as a foster parent. Yeah, I was going to ask, uh, I have several questions. Let's start with being an adoptive parent. So when you're fostering, the parent has an opportunity to gain that child, gain the the legal rights of that child back. Correct. So when you've adopted them, however means it, it went, whether the parent lost their parental rights or parents just weren't around anymore. If the parents are still around, how do you deal with the kids possibly still want to have a relationship with the parents and maybe the parents still want to be a part of their lives, but still re- but recognizing that they can't take care of them. Like how does that process work? 
Well, it all depends upon the situation because um, mm-hmm. every situation is different. Every situation is unique. To begin with, we are, my wife and I are going to ensure that our children are safe. Mm-hmm. That they are in no way in harm's way. So um, when it comes regards to their biological family members, you know, to begin with, there's no secrets. Well, they only have to do is to look in the mirror and say, hey, something's different about me than mommy and daddy. I look a little mm-hmm. bit different than them. So we never hid the fact that they're adopted. They all know that. And we celebrate Adoption Day every year. And um, But when it comes to that, you know, it's it's really up to the, well, our oldest one who's adopted, she is 15 now. Um, you know, it, it's up to her in regards to how much contact she wants to have with her biological mother. We mm-hmm. place it on her. We don't push it upon her. We don't force it upon her. We don't deny it from her either. Say, here it is. You know, what what are you comfortable with? Because um, then we don't want to create any anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other two, their biological mother simply is not in the picture. But if she mm-hmm. was, we would do the same thing. Again, mm-hmm. if it is healthy and safe. Mm-hmm. So another thing that uh, came up in what you were talking about is that you've fostered or adopted fostered. You've had so many kids in your life. They say that you're, they're your kids, 60. Obviously, they come from all different walks of life, races, religions, creeds, things of that nature. How do you deal with the cultural differences in raising them? And is that, and do you did you write any books on raising kids that are a different race or ethnicity? You know, my wife, as I mentioned earlier, is from Australia. We had the, we had the, the pleasure, the blessing of traveling around the world. And we have dear friends in I think maybe five different continents and we travel all the time. And we Mm -hmm. also have people coming to visit us from all over the globe. Uh, My children's godparents are from Australia, Germany, Switzerland. Um, We have dear friends from Japan and Africa. So we have had the wonderful opportunity to have so many different cultures live in our house, Mm -hmm. including my wife, including our godparents. So, my kids have been introduced since birth to different cultures. It's just mm-hmm. something that we celebrate every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we celebrate differences. We don't we don't divide into categories, but we celebrate the differences if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so you know, it really hasn't been something that's been a challenge for us in any way, um, because if you were to examine my house, you're going to see things from all around the globe mm-hmm. um, you know my, uh, my some of my older children have spent time over in europe living there and over uh, in australia living there and we've had the same thing living here as well um so again that's not something that we've had a challenge with uh, there are others that do i understand that but that hasn't been a barrier for us in any way because we celebrate okay. all of that and we learn about all of that as well and we teach those cultural differences to our children. Um, I have, I have written about it. I have also done training webinars about it as well at the foster care Institute. So you also brought up that you've worked with legislators right down the road from me here in Washington, DC. And that, uh, you, you said something about fixing the system. Can you break down a little bit about what you were talking about specifically with the system and and what are some of the things that need to be fixed and adjust and addressed uh, in that system? Where do you begin? Um, <laughs> there, there's 50 different states, which means there's 50 different ways of doing foster care because every state has its own policies, procedures, rules, regulations. And then every agency may also have minor differences as well. So that means there's so many different ways of doing foster care and none of them are perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, some do it better than others. When I was in D.C., uh, I was there in July of 2020 in the midst of the insanity that was COVID. Uh, I went with Jen Lilly, who's a celebrity actress. Actually, she's filming a movie right now in California. We're writing a book together right now. She's a foster and adoptive parent and advocate. And we went there um, to meet with legislators. We, we weren't concerned about any buyers. We were more concerned about children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we met with to reform the reunification process. So reunification relates to when a child is reunified with their birth parents and mm-hmm. they go back home for whatever reason it might be. Well, 50% of, and that's always the end goal of foster care. 
50% of children in foster care are reunified with their birth parents. Of that 50%, 20 to 30% come back into care because mm. their parents perhaps were not ready just yet. They weren't getting support services they need. They might slip back into their own addictions. Uh, abuse might reoccur. Sometimes the children, sadly, have even died in the home. So we were there mm. to say, you know what, there needs to be another step in the reunification process to stop the 20 to 30% coming back into care. Because when they come back into care, they're far more traumatized. They're yeah. filled with even more anxiety and pain. Um, so that's one of the things we're working on reform. Um, another thing we're working on is child welfare agencies today are overworked, overwhelmed, under-resourced, under-supported, understaffed. There's not enough foster parents for the children. There's more kids coming into care. Look at our border. You know, we're seeing children flooding over a border right now. Human trafficking is a huge problem in our nation right now. A lot of that is from the foster care system. And so trying to reform the system in regards to how can we give better support services for the foster parents so they can care for this influx of children. Opiate epidemic. Let's see the opiate epidemic. When the parents are incarcerated because of their addictions, where do these kids go? Going to mm. a system that can't handle it. When they're hospitalized, where do they go? When the parents die from the opiate addictions, where do they go? They're going to a foster care system that can't handle it because there's not enough foster parents and agencies are overwhelmed. So trying to fix that as well. So it's just a couple things we're working on. How can you, one, get people to, to want to be foster parents? Because you say there's not enough. So what are some incentives besides money? Because we know there are some foster parents out there that, that might be using it for money. Uh, but besides money, what can we do to get more people to be foster parents? And how can we get more people to be social workers, right? Because social workers are the ones that are dealing with uh, child services, correct? Uh, I know because I, I've known of uh, a couple of people who are social workers that even if they go get their masters, they're, they're really not making a lot of money and they're overworked and not making a lot of money. So overworked. what are some things that we can do to improve those situations? Well, first off, I want to, I want to clear up any misconceptions when people say foster parents are in for the money. I'm not sure how they do it for the money because there's not much there. You know, we get a daily per diem and the daily mm. per diem is dependent upon the child's age and dependent upon the child's um, needs, if you will. Mm -hmm. Now, there's not much there. There really is. Mm. We do it. Uh, I, I, as a foster parent, they come to my house, they're my child. So I'm going to make sure they have all the opportunities they need. If that means opening up my own wallet to make sure they pay for them to go to camp, go to play sports, do dance. That's fine. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm not getting reimbursed for that stuff. And I don't do right. that reimbursement. I do it because I have a love for children and I, I want to help them. Um, how do we get more foster parents? You know, I did a TED talk on foster care and that was to bring awareness to what children in our nation are going through. I mentioned 5 million children experiencing domestic violence. There's 800,000 children missing, some statistics say. Some statistics say 300,000 children victims of human trafficking, which means all of that means it's in every single community in our nation. You mm -hmm. don't have to go far to find our own personal mission field, if you will, because it's it's mm -hmm. in our neighborhood. It's Sometimes it's within our own family, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think awareness equals advocacy. I try to bring awareness to these issues so people can say, you know what? I didn't know this was happening where I live. How can I help these kids? Mm -hmm. But I also recognize being a foster parent is not for everybody. It's the hardest thing I've done. It's the most rewarding thing I've done, to be sure. And every child's made me a better person in some way. But there have been times where I've, where I've questioned, am I making a difference? Or this yeah. is so hard. Or I can't, I can't go through another broken heart. Um, so so there, while not everybody can be a foster parent, everybody can help in some way. Whether it's donating mm -hmm. school supplies or hygiene items or new clothing or those are just a few ways. Um, so we can all can help in regards to caseworkers. Well, caseworkers do need to be paid more. Yes, I agree with that. And they need to have a lighter case load. Mm. Um, they're overworked, overwhelmed, under supported, understaffed. So if we lower the ratio of foster parents to caseworkers, so caseworkers have less foster parents to work with, which means foster parents have more support services. That's going to go a long ways in helping. Where does the money come from to improve the systems? Well, as I talk with legislators, I try to remind legislators, these are not goods and services. These are children. Mm -hmm. And our money needs to go towards that. 
money does money does not need to go towards. Oh goodness, I was talking to a legislator the other day, and they're telling me that there's they spend all day legislation talking about blowing off leaves off the Capitol building driveway. And I'm saying, you know what? Money could be spent elsewhere. How about mm-hmm. helping children? Yeah. So you know, it's just um, it's just looking at what our priorities in our nation should be. I think those mm-hmm. priorities should be on protecting children. So you brought up your TED talk. Can you give me a little bit of information about that? Yes. So I talked about how the system failed one of my own kids. We had her for almost two years in our house, and we're in the process of adopting her. And then I won't spoil the TED talk, but um, sadly, it led to a very horrific situation for the child um, and how the system failed her. So I I shared that story um, and talk about how we can all help children in crisis in some way. Again, awareness equals advocacy. I want to bring awareness to what it's like being a foster parent, awareness mm-hmm. of what it's like being for these children, awareness how the system can fail a child, and awareness on how we all can play a part in helping these children. Um, what advice would you give to somebody thinking about being a foster parent? Because you have experience with 60. 60, that's a lot. What what would you say to those people that, that are thinking about it? I was one time in a relationship and the person that I was with said, do you want kids? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, do they have to be yours? And I said, nope, we can adopt. What about fostering? And I said, I never thought about fostering before. It's like, yeah. So what would be some advice that you would give to people who are thinking about that? First thing you've got to do is you've got to discuss with your spouse or your partner and see if they're on board. You both have to be on board, committed together to do it because it's a two-person job. Mm-hmm. You know, there are times where I have to. Listen, we've had as many as 11 in our house at the same time, including seven mm-hmm. in diapers, which is... Jesus. It's pretty exhausting. Let me tell yeah. you, seven in diapers is why crazy. Um, I don't wish it upon anybody. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I would depend upon my wife for help and she would do the same thing. And when we're, mm-hmm. you know, one of us is burned out, exhausted, the other one tags in. So you both have to be bored, both have to be committed. And, and then you need to talk to any other people in your family. You know, if you have children, mm-hmm. are they on board as well? Um, you don't have to have a big house. You don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to be married you can be single foster parent. Um, you just have to have a heart to help children. So my first suggestion is talk with your partner or spouse and your family. Um, and then also make sure that you have some type of support system in place, whether it's other family members or friends or a church or a faith-based organization or a foster parent support group in your area, because it can be exhausting. When you're caring for children in your house 24 hours a day, seven days a week, who have anxiety and have suffered horrific, horrific trauma and may have issues of trust and attachment, um, that can be challenging on a family. Yeah. So Dr. John, I, I wanted to ask you with you bringing in so many different kids into your home and you said you have three biological kids and three adoptive kids. How did the dynamics between the children work? Well, for my children, it's their norm. You know, mm-hmm. we, we have had over 60 plus kids. My oldest daughter is 25. We started when she was, I think, maybe six. So it's their norm. It's their norm. You know, uh, at any given day or hour, a new child can be coming to the house. So was it always a happy experience to the kids? No. Sometimes I say, Dad, this kid's driving me crazy. Dad, mm-hmm. this driving me crazy. At the same time, my wife and I couldn't do without our kids. Because as soon as right. a child comes to our house and they're scared, they're afraid, they're confused. They don't know why they're at our house. They don't know will they, will they ever see their moms and dads again. They don't know if someone will hurt them. They don't know if um, how long they'll be with us. We're strangers to them. Um, so my kids are the first ones to go up there and take them by the hand and, and go play with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sure, there have been times where they thought, Dad, this, this child is driving me crazy. Okay. Let's have, let's have the discussion. And, you know, sometimes we'll take a, a, a moment off. We'll take, maybe we'll take a break from fostering. Mm-hmm. When, when, when we had a child with us for almost two years, um, and when she left, we were all grief-stricken. 
every one of our family was just heartbroken. And we recognized, hey, we need to take a bit of time off and heal. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Now, Dr. John, you've been everywhere talking about uh, what you do uh, as far as being an advocate for foster care and, and, and running your organizations. You've been on CNN. You've been on Headline News. You've been on Getting More in America. Uh, you've even been on Wife Swap. <laughs> Can you tell me what some memorable experiences you've had of being on these programs? Everyone was done to bring awareness, including mm-hmm. YSOP. When they first called us up, you know, we, we've been asked to do a lot of reality shows over the years. She was, she's from Australia. He's a, a, from the United States, living in the deep South, all these kids, different colors. He's worked in professional wrestling, blah, blah, blah. They must have a unique story. So they contact us. Um, so a lot of times we say no. YSWAT called us up and my first response was, are you kidding me? You should be ashamed. You'd be ashamed of yourself. It's a terrible show. They said, no, no, we're trying to do, we want to bring public awareness to um, social issues. So my mm-hmm. wife and I thought, well, if we can show foster care and adoption in a positive light, mm-hmm. then we'll do it. Um, and we did. Um, it was something else. Uh, there's a clip on there about my wife and child that she was living with that is, speaks for itself, I think. Um, so they're all done for awareness. Um, you know, I, I just did an interview with CNN in my house last week. Fox News was two weeks ago. Again, always trying to bring awareness to these issues because you might touch, I might touch somebody who's thinking, you know, but you know what? I didn't know I could help these kids or I didn't know this was happening in my area. How can I help? How mm-hmm. can I help? Um, so they're all, they've all been positive experiences for the most part. For the most part. Okay. So. <laughs> Has there been any negative experiences? You know, why swap was interesting. <laughs> and that we're just going to leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Um, I didn't want to go there. I wanted to save it to the end, but you just brought it up. Professional wrestling. Now, people that know me personally and people that have been paying attention to podcasts know that I'm a fan of professional wrestling. Some of them know that I used to run a little small promotion here in the Washington, D.C. area in the mid-2000s. But you also have a history in professional wrestling. Can you tell me a little bit about that? We moved back from Australia to Atlanta, Georgia in 1997 for me to chase after what that time was, I thought, my dream job. Little did I know. Um, And that was professional wrestling. And I traveled the southern part of the united states um as a manager of the bad guys um i was the professor okay i had a dictionary hollowed out where i keep brass knuckles or powder or chain and i would you know help the bad guy cheat um and um who knew would lead to foster parenting (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i did it for a number of years um but then I'll be honest, as as my faith began to grow mm-hmm. and as a wrestling system started to change mm-hmm. um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, it wasn't what it was when I grew up in the 70s and 80s. Um, my faith grew, my family grew, the system was, the, the industry was changing and I recognized, yeah, I've, I've had my run, this was it, um, and um, I stopped and Shortly after that, I felt called to become a foster parent. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was an interesting journey, interesting path. Um, it was fun. I had fun doing it. You know, I was in the road five days a week. Um, it was fun. So how often does that come up in conversation with your foster kids? Oh, with the kids? Not that often. Most of them don't know. Okay. Um, you know, I don't, I, most of them don't know. Um, Because it's not something good. My my wife hates it for the passion, but she thought, well, go do it. Get out of your system before you have a midlife crisis. Um, And yeah, there was a discussion. It doesn't just doesn't. There was a shift. There was a strong shift in the material uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s where it got more raunchy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Extreme. Yes. And, And extreme and raunchy and and. That was probably a tough time 
to bring kids to rest. By that time, I was in high school, college. So that all that stuff appealed to me because that was a demographic. But at the heart of it, wrestling has always been for the kids. Uh, so yeah, I could understand why that why that material would not be appealing to you, especially when your faith is starting to get stronger. Uh, but not only have you been a professional wrestler, you lived in a variety of different places. Can you tell me a little bit about, okay, I, I don't want to get too personal, but your wife is from Australia. Did you meet her in Australia? Arizona. Okay. That, that's an interesting story. How did that even come about? <laughs> um, we traveled the world in a performing group called Up With People. In the 70s and 80s, they were huge. Actually, they did four Super Bowl halftime shows in the 80s. Uh, maybe in the 90s. I don't recall if they did the 90s or not. No, no, not in the 90s, but 80s, 70s and 80s. I did four Super Bowl halftime shows. Um, and so we met in that group. There were 120 of us from 27 countries traveling around the globe for a year, different city, different state, different country every second day, um, putting on a two-hour song and dance show and doing a lot of community service. Hmm. And um, in my cast, there are people from all continents, all languages, um, and that's how we met. That's how we met. And and so you lived on a tropical island. We did. We did. Great Barrier, right off, right off the Great Barrier Reef for a year. Um, and did that all come about with the group? Obviously, you traveled to so many different places because of the group. Um, is that also when you said that um, your kids are exposed to a lot of people from different cultures and a lot of people from different countries come to visit you? Or was, were they friends that you yes. met during the group? Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, Dr. John, that's pretty interesting there. I mean, obviously I have you on here to talk about your work in the foster care system and the books that you've written, but you've also got this whole other side of your life that's, that's dealing in entertainment. That's really cool. Well, you know, it's, um, so when I'm speaking on stage for five, six, seven hours, sometimes, some days, um, I'm sharing stories and I'm, I'm, it's a form of entertainment, if you will, in that I'm trying to keep the audience interested and inspired and motivated. Um, and that's what, that's what any good professional speaker does is they're keeping their audience entertained, if you will. Now, mm -hmm. some of the stories I share are not always happy stories. You know, sometimes yeah. they're sad stories. Um, sometimes they're horrific stories, but I think they're stories that need to be heard. Because, mm -hmm. it's, you know, so many times we talk about, we, well, look at human trafficking. It's a, a, it's a global business, huge money-making business, including here in the United States, 300,000 children and victims of human trafficking uh, in our nation. It's something that we don't want to discuss as a nation because it makes us feel uncomfortable. I call human trafficking America's ugly secret. We don't want mm -hmm. to talk about it. It makes us feel uncomfortable. So we ignore it. Talk about something else instead. I'm going to talk about these issues with you. Because we need to talk about this because it's happening now. Child, yeah. as, as we're having this conversation, there's a child in your neighborhood or in your, in your, in your county, a child in my county who's being abused. So yeah. we need to bring awareness to these issues. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I've had an interesting life, sure. It, I've been blessed. Um, the living on the island for a year was glorious. Now, we did it. We did it because our first child had died and mm -hmm. we both were in jobs that we did not enjoy whatsoever. Um, and we thought, well, how can we escape this group, yeah. if you will? So we, we left society and lived on an island for a year and it was, uh, it was nice. There are days when I think I wish I was back. Mm. Um, not only have you done good morning, America headline news, CNN, Fox, you also ran your own, also had your own radio program uh parent factors can you tell me a little bit about that and what were some of the messages that you were trying to get across and convey to your audience on that program sure i was a, i was a dj for four different radio stations in both in australia and the united states and i really enjoyed that so i was approached to do my own podcast and uh it was called parent factors with dr john and i tried to i had a different guest on each week and we talked about parenting issues issues that parents face from all different um, aspects, if you will. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I would imagine that with the 
evolution of technology, parenting is a lot different oh, from, boy. let's say, my parents parenting me and my brothers and sisters in the 80s and 90s. Like, we didn't have cell phones. Cell phones wasn't a thing now. Cell phones are absolutely a thing now. And kids are getting cell phones younger and younger. And one of the things I said uh, in one of my previous interviews with uh, another foster care advocate was um, the accessibility of porn at such a young age, I feel is corrupting a young, a young person's mind. Oh, yes. There was a joke on uh, Instagram the other day about this, this young kid that was uh, on an island, not an island, but in a remote area. And these teenagers run up to him because they're lost and they said, hey, we need to borrow that car. Can you give us the keys? And the kid slyly was saying, yeah, I can give you the keys if, and the girls say, well, we're not going to show you our boobs. And he was like, what are you kidding me? Am I 10? I saw that when I was 10. I'm 12 now. I want to see something else. And it's, that's real. That's a, a realistic thing. So what advice, because I have a lot of young parents who are listening, what advice would you give to young parents that have to deal with that, that have to deal with technology and the accessibility of things that they might not be ready to talk about with their kids, but it's been exposed to their kids, so they might have to have that conversation. I wrote a book called Helping Foster Children. I'm sorry, Keeping Foster Children Safe Online. And it's for mm -hmm. any parent, not just a foster parent, for any parent. You know, you and I live in an online world. Our children inhabit it. There's a difference there. They inhabit it. Um, and there's a lot of good with online technology and social media, and there is probably even more that's bad with online technology and social media. And it's not going to go away. The first thing I tell parents is you have to be diligent on a day-to-day -day basis on trying to keep your child safe with social media and online technology. Um, and a lot of parents will say, well, you know what? I don't want to invade their privacy. I say, you know what? You're not invading their privacy. You're protecting the child. Mm -hmm. You're not going to do it. Then who is? There's right. so much out there. There's so much out there that is so harmful children i think we just have to turn on the tv every single day and look at what's happening to children you know there is so much destruction um violence disrespect um suicides and a lot of that is triggered from social media and online technology and as a parent we have to be diligent in protecting our children which means Checking your phone to see who is contacting my child, and who my child is contacting, um, who their friends online, um, what are they looking at, what games are they playing, what are they accessing, what are they watching, who is contacting them, who's in their chat groups, all these type of things. Um, filters aren't enough in today's mm -hmm. society. We have to be doing so because um, if we're not going to do so, then somebody's going to be contacting these children. When it comes to children in foster care, they're the most vulnerable children, and sexual predators reach out to these children all the time because, again, they are vulnerable and they want to believe, mm -hmm. want to believe that someone loves them. But then again, when you have five million children who are victims of human, or, I'm sorry, domestic violence in their house, they are going online too, looking for some escape, looking for some, looking for someone to accept them or to love them. 2020, we shut down our schools, and we sent all these kids home. And what were they doing? Well, they weren't doing their schoolwork online. They were going online, accessing a lot of stuff that was inappropriate or dangerous to them. As I, as I noted earlier, teenage suicide attempts in the United States are up 70% in girls since 2020, since COVID. Hmm. I think we as a society are to blame because we forced them. Well, there's something there's something known as social media depression. You know, we know that our kids get depression because of online technology and social media. Uh, you have to be diligent. You really do day to day basis. Put that phone down at nine o'clock at night. Um, in our house, Mondays and Wednesday, Mondays and Wednesdays is no tech days. Hmm. Um, you know, we're sitting together as a family, playing games, reading. Um, you know going outside and playing, going for walks. And not only is it healthy in protecting the children, it's also healthy in, in forming relationships with children, talk, telling them how to, teaching them how to have healthy communications without doing this. Mm -hmm. um, 
So it, there are so many ways that we can protect our children. But but then again, so many people don't want to accept that this is a problem either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you make a very valid point. Uh, to finish it off here, you've had numerous awards, recognition for your work in foster care and child welfare. What are some of your proudest moments in your career? And what do you hope to achieve in the future? I know we touched a little bit about your work in legislation, uh, but what are some of the other things that you hope to achieve in your future and some things that you're really proud of? I'm proud of being able to be a, a father or a father figure to 60 plus children. I'm proud that my own children. Um, want to help others. Hmm. You know, my six kids may never be foster parents, but I also, but I firmly believe they're going to want to help others in some way. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of that fact. I'm proud that my kids are quick to stand up for bullying um, and help others. I'm proud that they're the ones who step up and will say, you know, I'll help. Um, I'm proud that my kids don't see, um, don't see. Well, let me rephrase it. I think all of my kids are so despondent and upset by anything that's racist. Mm. Um, because again, look at my family. We're all different colors, but we're one family. And, and that's the look of love. I think our family is a look of love. It's not a look of this person's this child, this child's this race, this child's this race, this child's this race. No, we're a family that's united in love. So I'm proud of those things. Um, sure, the accolades are nice, to, to be sure. Good Morning America, we, we went on a, a Disney cruise as uh, winners of the Ultimate Heroes Award. Th- those things were nice. Um, but I'm proud of what my family stands for. Um, what do I hope to do in the future? Bring more awareness mm-hmm. for the foster care system. Um, maybe lower some of these horrible statistics that children are experiencing today. Um, yeah, that's what I hope to accomplish. And maybe... May maybe actually get Washington, D.C. to do some reform. The The wheels of progress when it comes to legislators is very slow. Yes. And I, and I tell them, is. you know, we can't be slow in this because there's a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. There's a child in crisis right now. Yeah. We can't wait. Can you give my audience some more information on where the your books, where they can find more information about you, where they can find more information where they can help? Yeah, thanks for asking. So Dr. John DeGarmo, fostercare.com is where you can find my books. And there's a book I'd recommend in general called Fostering Love, One Foster Parent's Journey. If you want to know what it's like being a foster parent, it's my memoir, my first 10 years of foster parenting. You know, there's lots of emotion, lots of funny stories, lots of sad stories, but it gives, I think, a true insight into what it's like caring for these kids. Uh, you just search for the Foster Care Institute online. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, Dr. John DeGarmo. They're all there. All right. Dr. John, I want to thank you once again for coming and joining us and, and, and giving us good information, helping us learn about the foster care, children, and also your professional wrestling career. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. No problem at all. Dr. John is a very interesting man, aside from his advocacy for uh, children in the welfare system, which learning some, I learned some stuff that I just didn't know about. I did not realize how many children are being trafficked. Um, and, And that's really scary to think about that, how many children are losing their innocence. Like we all were kids once and we know, uh, Something simple as there was a time that we went out to play with our friends and that was the last time we went out to play with our friends. There was an innocence loss at that moment. Sometimes our innocence are, are, are is taken away from us. And I think adults, specifically parents, try to do a, a strong and determined job to protect their children and hold on to that innocence because the, the light in the child's eyes when they see Santa or the Easter bunny, like, like these are things that we want to keep that light in a child's eyes is so very, very, very important. And Dr. John is basically, you know, telling us those lights are going out pretty early and, and that's a really sad thing. So go to his website, find out ways that you can help. I'm going to try to find out ways that I can help. Because we had to do something to help protect these kids. That 
that should be some of our that should be one of our main jobs in life right to be decent human beings to each other and protect the children protect the children from real stuff not fake imaginary stuff but real stuff uh because i think sometimes that argument gets skewed to how you protect the children and people make up imaginary stuff and, and saying that we need to protect the children from these things and 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 those just aren't the cases uh we just want i say we should protect the children in a way that they can hold on to their innocence for as long as they can and so that we can give them the skills to navigate in this cold world because it is a cold ass world life is real and it comes at you hard and fast and if we can protect them from having to deal with life hard and fast as much as possible but still also prepare them for the skills that when life comes at you hard and fast to be able to deal with it i think it would be better off a society but on that note i hope you guys enjoyed the interview don't forget that there are episodes of all of our interviews all of our happy hours with my sister on youtube.com backslash unsolicited perspectives also, there are two additional shows on our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash unsolicited perspectives. That's that After Hours Uncensored episode with my sister and the Talk is Straight-ish with me. Those are shows that you can only get on Patreon. There's so much content on Patreon. It's only $5 a month. Once again, it's patreon.com backslash unsolicited perspectives. Share with all your friends, our YouTube, the audio podcast. We're growing. I'm not satisfied. I want to get to more ears and eyeballs as possible because I believe that we're doing good work here and we're getting out good messages. But until next time, I'll holla. Thank you for listening to Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Please subscribe, like, comment, share, and donate. Donations help us keep giving you this free content each and every week. Until next time, out of 5,000. Peace.